Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is Internet Marketing. I'm here with James Shear, VP of Growth at Codeless, and we're going to be discussing executing a hyper-growth content strategy. And James, coming into this podcast, of course, I wanted to get into brands and businesses and all the ways in which they can execute content strategy. But in the research for this, I I saw that you're a contributor to the Entrepreneur publication. And the first thing that went through my mind is, I wonder how you're executing content strategy for yourself. So uh, (laughs) when you contribute to Entrepreneur, what are the reasons that you're doing it for? What are the commitments and what are the benefits? I mean, the short answer is I do it so that when I'm on podcasts, I can have people ask me, so what's it like to write for entrepreneur or <laughs> so I can put it in a bio. I mean, the reality of the situation with that kind of thing, I've been a guest contributor on the entrepreneur, on entrepreneur a couple of times. Um, it's about branding, you know, it's about mm-hmm. getting my name out there and um, building that little bit of thought leadership and that respect within an industry that has, you know, far too many people talking, a lot of them perhaps far too loudly. Um, so ultimately, it's like, you know, as much as I am, I, I am the VP of growth for Codeless, I'm also James Shear, who's looking to, you know, um, build my own reputation and therefore the reputation of the company for whom I, you know, work and develop content strategy. And so when I talk to clients, they look me up and they say, okay, you know, maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. You know, I I see a piece he's done on entrepreneur or simply the fact that he's a well-respected voice in the field. Um, That adds a lot of uh, legitimacy to not just the things I say, but the brand I work for. Um, Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So the reputation part, I understand. Out of interest, does it ever contribute to direct, I don't know if you call it lead generation for you? Does it turn into business ultimately uh, directly or is it more indirect through your reputation? It's all, it's all indirect. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, someone, you know, I, I have had someone say not about entre- entrepreneur, but it was a business insider piece. And they said, I, I, I read your article on business insider, or I, I heard of you, looked you up, read your article and then got in touch. Um, you know, but it's never been a, a direct, I mean, not that I would know, you know, I'm not, there's very, you know, it's pretty hard to track uh, a readership of one of the articles that you're not mm. the publisher for, um, you know, may, maybe somebody's come directly from that article straight to my bio and the link in it to the website and, and, and bought a, you know, a $40,000 content marketing plan, but I know I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
And outside of being an esteemed writer, before we jump in and talk about content strategy, do you want to describe a little bit more about what you do at Codeless and who Codeless are? For sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so Codeless is a uh, content marketing agency. We are a, um, we kind of used to be a content writing agency who just created content. But mm-hmm. when I came on about three years ago, I really wanted to bring a marketing and a strategy component to what we deliver to clients. So my background is in content um, creation. I was a writer and then an editor and then head of inbound at a tech startup in Vancouver. Um, and that's kind of where I got my start, you know, being paid in pizza and ping pong. Um, and I learned a lot there because the startup community is very much, it's bootstrapped. It's let's try things, let's test things, let's throw young 24 year olds into roles that they have no, you know, uh, legitimacy being in um and i learned a lot and so when i came to codeless initially as um uh director of editorial and now vp of growth i wanted to bring in a strategic component like how can we uh deliver high quality seo strategy to clients alongside the content that they want to be producing um so my responsibility now is to not just um kind of build up our own brand code this itself as you know spreading the word about what we do and 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 that people you know if they want to produce great content we're a great option but also to um, work with our clients to lock down what is an appropriate content plan for them based on their business you know the stage of their business and what their budget and what they're willing to invest is from a production uh, content production as well as like an seo kind of foundational structure and then also backlinking so how does this all kind of come together into a cohesive holistic um, kind of recipe for for success and brand awareness and leads and sales through content. I'm so glad you described some of that history about Codeless because I didn't know that aspect that you were looking and to bring to the business um, and that you've brought to the business. And you mentioned content strategy and a, st- a strategic thread or a strategic arm, as you described it there. Uh, this isn't intending to come across as too egotistical, but I tend to consider myself more of a strategic thinker and I can more easily, I think, distinguish between content strategy and content tactics. But peers and colleagues that I work with, clients, sometimes that line is blurred. Sometimes people confuse uh, particularly content strategy with tactics or use the phrases interchangeably. I really want to hear about your experience now. Does what I say there resonate with you? Do you see something similar and maybe talk me through the, that early stage of when you came on board at Codeless and you had this goal to implement a strategic arm. How did you go about it? I mean, I, I, I'd love to hear what you think the difference is because mm-hmm. I think, I, think I, I have my answer. But the fact that you have a strong opinion on this, which I don't have a strong opinion, I think I know the difference as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. But I would love to hear your strong opinion and see if I agree with it. Well, I'm just trying to find a real life example that comes to mind that's recent. Uh, we'll have a client that says we want to implement a link building strategy or something for SEO. Sure. And it's, and it's actually, it's not strategic in its thought. It's a tactic. They want to execute link building for some reason, but typically the reason isn't because they've identified that links are the contributing factor that are lacking from their organic search strategy. So yeah, yeah. it's more of a, They've read something that's tactical. They think that sounds like a good idea that will contribute to SEO without the full bigger picture analysis of all the contributing elements of SEO and actually what's missing. That's just an example. It's not really a succinct difference between the two, but that's maybe an example that I see. 
No, I actually, I'm, yeah, I'm a hundred percent on this in the same place as you. I think mm. of tactics as being individual, independent, yeah. um, efforts and investments that, you know, you, you make in a specific thing. Like it's, Hey, I just read an article about, you know, drip campaigns and we should have a drip campaign. And then you mm. write one and then you realize at the end of a drip campaign that you have no leads, um, <laughs> or no subscribers or, or any kind of contact details from anybody. Um, I think of strategy as being far more, again, I'll, you know, I'll use the word holistic again. It's, uh, the thinking about a growth strategy or a content strategy or a sales strategy, um, from beginning to end from, from a holistic standpoint, um, what is the foundation that we need to create? And if we're doing that initially, then what is the second stage of that process look like once that foundation is created? I used to write for um, a, a tech startup and um, we did, we had a lead generation um, tool, landing page creator builder tool. And um, I often use the word, because we used to like I used to talk about lead generation quite frequently. And um, the kind of analogy that I often used was uh, creating a lead generation campaign without creating a lead nurturing campaign is like building a beautiful Ferrari and not putting an engine in it. Yeah. And that's, I guess, at the heart of what we're talking about here, which is that like everything from content to S, you know, to PPC to, you know, sales funnel optimization the difference between a strategy and tactic is that a strategy considers how each piece of this process fits together and only works if the entire thing is cohesive and um, structured and has intention behind it. Um, mm-hmm. If you simply have these things live independently or have these silos of teams or responsibilities or, or roles, then um, it could work, but it's not going to work very well. And things are going to fall by definition through the cracks that live between those departments and between those strategies or between those tactics um, and between the staff responsible for them. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you use some good words. I think you used the word intentional then. That's what was going through my head uh, as I was thinking about the question that you asked me, like how would I describe it? It's um, there's intent behind strategy, Uh, a deeper drive to want to deliver a message in a specific way and i know in our company at site visibility our agency components of strategy so the bigger picture include things like assumptions motivations resources timelines knowns unknowns variables there are so many components that it's really and i think this is another word you used as you were talking it's very considered it's a very considered approach mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons why i asked when you go into environments where there are more tactic-led environments, it can be really difficult for strategic marketers to voice, for, to find a place for strategy in those environments. And the reasons, the, the pros and cons, uh, I'm sure we'll explore, and I'm curious to hear about your experience. But I've seen the downside is that uh, patience, really. So content strategy, because you want to explore those elements you need a certain level of patience to go through an exploration process to detail where you're at before you start executing tactics. And I, I really just see that element missing from, again, uh, peers, sometimes colleagues, sometimes clients, a combination of all of those things. In the environments that I work in, it's largely patience that's the missing element that really prevents a lot of people from committing to content strategy long term. What do you see? Exactly the same. Um, right. The most frequent 
pain point that we um, come up against that we needs to be addressed is the understanding with our clients that when you sign on with this significant investment, you're not likely to see anything mm. for three months at the very least. And that's a really difficult thing to sell. You know, um, <laughs> if I'm selling shoes, then you get the value of the new shoes you have as soon as you put them on your feet. If I'm selling SEO, you get the value, hopefully, of the thing that you've invested in three to six months after the fact. But then equally along with that, going back to the, sh- the strategy versus tactic is that, mm. you know, when I first came to Codeless, um, they had stepped away. So it was started by a guy, Brad Smith, who is excellent and knows his stuff. But he had found that the niche that needed to be filled as far as he was concerned was the production component because he, he, he was a uh, guest, guest poster. He was doing guest contributions on mass and he was very very good at it and so he got too many businesses asking for him to contribute so he kind of outsourced a little bit of that um work to a freelancer and started his kind of company that way and so the framework of how codeless was created was through the lens of somebody who knew what they wanted and why they wanted it and just needed somebody to write it for them so for you know the first three years of codeless being an agency that was the 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 meat and bones of it was production however Production is a tactic, a single variable within a larger growth strategy um, that I felt very strongly was missing when I, when I first came to the company. Um, and we, we say that you know it is patience, um, but it's also from a, from a sales perspective. If you're you know in house needing to sell content strategy to your boss or to the board or whoever it is, um, it's a easy sell from my perspective. Because the fact of the matter is, is that you can execute this tactic of content creation, but unless there's a strategy behind it, it's not going to succeed or it's not going to succeed anywhere near as quickly. So you can say, listen, I recognize we're going to have to pause for a moment. We're going to have to lock down who we're talking to. We're going to have to lock down what our you know pillar pieces are within each category, what the categories are, how, how we're supporting them, what the link, the internal link structure is, um, making sure that the CMS and our site structure is clean and tight and that the images, you know, there's a lot that we need to do beforehand um, before we can publish a single article. And a lot of people say, but that's, you know, it's way too time consuming. It's too complex, whatever, whatever. But the fact is that once you do those things, then you can execute the tactic. Once you have the strategy in place, then you can execute the tactic and succeed from it. If you don't do those things and simply execute the tactic, simply create content, no matter how high quality that content is, without the foundation of thoughtfulness, it's not going to succeed. So if you're selling, you know, this investment to, you know, if I'm selling it to a prospective client or if a you know new content marketer or d- digital marketer is selling content to their boss or to their CMO, sell it in the terms of unless we do it this way, we will not get a positive return on our investment and it will not work. It's binary for me in that respect. Yeah, there's another aspect to this, which is so obvious to me as I sit back and look at our team at work and I see the interaction between our clients, prospects and our team. And that's confidence. So our team, once they go through this strategic process, the unearthing of all the information, the assessment of all these things we're discussing, the confidence that breeds is really infectious across the team. And so when it becomes time to execute on the tactics, the client has a lot more buy-in from our team. And likewise, Mm -hmm. in return, typically we have a lot more buy-in from our clients eventually, but it, it takes a little bit of time sometimes. I think that's such a massively under valued part of agency and client marketing 
is that ability to you employ an agency to do their best work. And in my experience, if you have that, you talked about maybe a three month period is very similar to how it works in our agency. If you allow a, t- a team that three month period to be strategic, you'll reap the long term benefits because you'll have a, a marketing team that are bought into the idea of what you're trying to achieve. That's a huge pro to this approach, a more strategic approach to content that we're talking about. Absolutely agree. Quick question though, like what do you do about um, telling a client expected results? This is just a, like a quick question for me yeah. because that's that's something that I, I mean, I think in our, in our space, it's a major part of this and all, often clients come saying, okay, I'm going to give you this this investment. What can I expect from that investment and when? Yeah, um, it's a challenging thing for me. Do you have a do you have a solution there or or, or go to answer? Well, typically we do forecast. So uh, if we have historic data to work with, we can go through a process of forecasting, and we do that a lot in our agency. We take in combination the the client's historic data to predict future performance, and we really assess all of these things that I just discussed: assumptions, motivations our knowledge of budget, resource, all of these things in collaboration. And we frame a client's ambition within those three um, scenarios. That gives us some kind of direction on where uh, we think a client will end up if they invest in content strategy. The, yeah. the, the, the difficult part is when we have... Uh, clients that maybe don't have the historic data. So if they're startup companies or small businesses that haven't invested in a certain area before, and that's maybe when we'll look at a combination of like a logic-based assessment uh, based on our experience of other clients. Maybe we'll use benchmarking data from competitors' tools or from Google Analytics. Um, so we use a bit more competitor intelligence when we don't have that first-party data ourselves. Yeah, that's actually... Um... We, we do something quite similar. I, I, I do the three kind of um, the assessments of like, if everything we do fails, <laughs> if, if everything we do works about as well as I think it might, and then uh, if everything we do succeeds beyond our wildest dreams, to give <laughs> that client, you know, the, an understanding of these are, these are like, this is probably what's going to happen. There's what could happen. And here's also what could happen. Mm. Um, but yeah. And also, we we struggle as well because like we do tend to get clients who are either you know SMB startup usually recently funded um, who have a bit of budget and want to grow quickly and want to invest significantly in content marketing mm. but don't have historical data of any kind and some of them by the very nature of them being startups they their, their competitors are either equally small or non-existent um, and that's that's always a fun one but luckily I. I do really rely on, you know, past clients who we've worked with who were in a similar space, you know, 18 months or two years ago. And this is where they're at now. And this is what they did. This is what I'm going to do for you. And I could expect, you could expect something similar to that. Um, that's a success story, but like, let's take it down a notch to give you a reasonable, reasonable expectation. But then, yeah, with, with larger businesses, like we worked with money.com and active campaign and coming into those is very much like, okay, what, corner of your total marketing strategy are we involved in <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and uh like do i actually have any insight whatsoever into you know how uh trello is you know performing <laughs> this quarter <laughs> um, but uh it, yeah it's always it's always fun to give a client you know 
ex- expectations. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not the the key is it's not an exact science, but if you've got historical data to work with, you have historical data to work with. You can use yeah. some data, and if you don't, um, it's always the the fine balance we talk about in our team of ambition and data. So yeah. some sometimes data can be humbling. And particularly if you're forecasting, um, sometimes a client or prospect's expe- expectations won't fall within the bounds of um, scientific uh, confidence. And that can be a difficult conversation because yeah. um, a client comes to an agency to try and achieve their ambitions and data might be telling them, actually, that's a little bit unrealistic. Really, it's our expert. that's where our expertise comes in um, as strategic marketers. Again, one of the reasons I was so keen to talk to you is because that's where strategy is so important because you can consider more than just one variable in order to make some uh, assessments about the direction that you need to head in. And so that's what we do, it, but it takes time. And that, and that, like I said, that's the, um, that's the downside. Um, if you look at it that way, you, it requires some patience. Uh, but if you invest that time at the beginning, um, you take a, you, I think you said you take a breather, you take a pause, it will pay off in the long run. And I see how it pays off not only in the bottom line of a business, uh, but in the relationship between an agency and a client, which uh, the the relationship between an agency and a, and a client is fundamental to marketing success. So if you get that right early on as well, then you're really giving yourself the best shot at long-term success and you're saving your money moving around agencies and on agency fees and things like that as well. And I think, um, yeah, you're absolutely right there. And I think where we try to where we try to excel in that respect is whenever anybody who's an agency out there, it's going above and beyond the sow. It's here is what they signed up for. Here's what they're expecting from us. We deliver that regularly and excellently and with great communication, but also particularly in the content space, there's a lot of little kind of small value ads that can come in. It's, it's, not just doing your monthly or your quarterly performance analysis and presenting it in a slide deck. It's mm-hmm. also, hey, I'm in SEMrush or Ahrefs or whatever or Moz like on a daily basis. Why don't I go quickly run a site audit um, on this client and see if there are any 404s that they should take care of? Or maybe there are some redirect recommendations that I can make to them. Oh, actually, you have, and this happened just this, uh, in, uh, last week. Um, not in any way part of the um, kind of the remit of what we do, but one of our clients had a significant uh, influx of really low quality spammy referring domains. Mm-hmm. And to, I mean, I see that because I'm in Ahrefs all the time. All the time, I get reports on a weekly basis. It runs them automatically. Um, I see this massive influx. I go and look at it, and I say. You know, a lot of these seem to be from really low quality domains. There's a huge number of backlinks per domain. Um, they're sketchy uh, sites. And I say, you know, this is something that you, can, you should be aware of. Here's what you can do if you want to disavow these referring domains. My recommendation is this, this, and this. It takes me 15, 20 minutes to do that. And from their side is the difference between a content agency exclusively delivering what they've signed up for and a content agency is delivering what they signed up for and more Mm. and is like integral and their expertise is coming to the fore, um, not just in what they signed on for. Um, So I think that 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 kind of thing is not too time consuming, but whenever you can go above and beyond in a scalable way, I absolutely say you should. Hmm. 
And for you and your team there at Codeless to execute marketing strategically, what do you need in place? Um, to elaborate a little bit, I was saying how at our agency, things like assumptions, motivations, resource, budget, uh, we undertake audience profiling or persona analysis. Um, you know, it, um, what stands out to you as the most valuable aspect of that strategic process? If there is one element that stands out above any other, what is it that you need and look out for in that process? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is buy-in. We alluded earlier to the length of time in, in which success is found in mm-hmm. this space. Um, and again, one of the ways that I've found buy-in is attained is through strategic um, delivery. So if if you can showcase that you're an expert in this space and you know what you're talking about, when I say, this is going to take three, six months, guys, then they say, okay, well, you're the expert in this space. You know, you know better than we about how long this is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say getting that buy-in and by over delivering or delivering value adds in that first six weeks of you know of your engagement um, is going to get you that buy-in that will keep them with you until they see results and then once they see results you're fine um so buy-in for one um i would say you either need someone who knows seo and content and your space in and out and is already sold on the value of what you do or you need someone who is willing to hand over responsibility and worry to you, the agency. <laughs> you are the expert. You take it. Tell me if I need to be concerned about anything. Or I already know the value of this. It struggles most, just from a, from a client perspective, we struggle most with people who um, kind of think themselves experts or, um, you know, b- yeah, believe that they know how long this should take. They know how much it should cost. They know how much the investment needs to be made in each piece and each, each and the strategy itself. And then when you say, well, actually, I would recommend you do a little bit more here, 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 um, you're constantly fighting against that, which is why that buy-in is so incredibly important. Yeah, it's very similar our end, actually. Um, case studies and testimonials and actual mm-hmm. face-to-face references from client go a long way to achieving that buy-in. Yeah. We set expectations very early, particularly with prospects that aren't clients yet. We, we do spend a lot of time explaining this part of our work and saying, you know, if, if you're looking to get started and execute tactically very quickly, you know, we're probably not the agency for you. There are certain circ- there are certain circumstances where we can execute tactically or continue tactics that maybe they're in, uh, they're already in progress, but typically we like that fresh start at our agency. I am interested just to bring this to life for anyone listening of, Uh, we've kind of talked a lot there about content strategy and tactics and maybe the differences, but maybe to bring it to life with, it could be an example of someone that you're working with or just codeless um, as a company yourselves. Could you maybe bring to life how you've approached a content strategy recently and help the listeners understand the difference between the strategic part and then the tactics that um, you've executed on? For sure. Um, I'll use a case study or a, yeah, yeah. A, a, yeah, because it's, it's the easiest. Uh, we worked with a client called early bird. They were an early stage funded, um, FinTech. They have an app that allows parents and godparents and aunts and uncles to, um, uh, d- donate or financially support a minor or a, a young person or even a, a baby, um, and have that money be invested, um, up until they reach majority. So it's, it's, it's a really interesting app. 
and they come in very early stage. Um, Nil Domain Authority really they didn't have a blog when they got to us, so they were building out that you know the building out their CMS and the theme was kind of getting designed essentially when we first started working with them. Um, so I I'll, I'll give that example and then I'll give one if if you already have some stuff I'll talk to that as, as well. But if you're kind of from blank blank canvas here, um, in general I structure content strategy around. Um, categories in which a business wants to be found so with them it was gifting um the idea of 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 gifting um financial literacy so the idea of education around finances um and uh, part of that was investment and the last was um kind of like quite technical um utma like minority um accounts that can hold like the, the rules around gifting to a minor and how it all works from a tax perspective and all that kind of fun stuff three kind of core categories of content. Um, how I identify those categories are not just by like, you know, looking at the website and seeing what their services and their offering is, but also is there significant search volume and a good, you know, amount of, of topics here that are disparate, but have volume and the competitiveness level of which is attainable for a nil or very low domain authority up and coming site. Um, so once those categories are determined, you determine the pillars. If you have three to five um, kind of categories, then you have three to five pillars per category. And then you have 15 to 20 pieces of content um, per category as well, supporting those pillars. The pillars are published first. There's more significant investment in them. Um, we do custom images, uh, though just high-quality images is, is important. Of course, you're also then employing all the tactics, the tactical component of SEO, at least from the front end, which is making sure that you have your meta titles and your meta descriptions, that your images are smaller than 250K uh, KB, that um, you have a structured article that has semantic key phrases um, that align with the competition. You're using a tool like Phrase or ClearScope or, or SEO Surfer to check your drafted content against the competition, the ranking URLs. What are they including that you're not? Okay, add it in. Um, then you're um, yeah, publishing that content with intention. So the pillars go live first, they're indexed, um, and then supporting content supports them. And then you kind of publish at volume. I recommend that you know, any early stage business publishes significant content, uh, a, a, a quantity of quant- content. I'm kind of on the fence between the content quality and um, quantity kind of argument. I am a massive fan of optimization. As a result, um, I am also a fan of publishing at volume and then diving back into each individual piece um, so long as they're really good up front. Um, dive into each piece once it kind of hits a certain level of ranking position to improve it and really invest again another you know, uh, 500 1000 words worth of work so 500 net new um words making sure the semantically were aligned and uh, you know a 500 words um worth of stat updates uh improving the images whatever 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 and making sure that we're linked as well as we can do after the fact so um quantity of content published up front 15 to 20 pieces of content a month, ideally. Then you do the three categories of content over the first three months. You can either do them, um, uh, you know, at the same time. So doing, you know, uh, five pieces of content per category or do one category, uh, one month, the next, the next, the next. My recommendation actually there is to publish again because of the optimization component, publish, um, concurrently. So if you're targeting three different categories of content, then publish, um, you know, 
five, five, and five in that first month. After the first three months of publication, do a really in-depth audit of how each category is performing. Then for months kind of four, five, six and ongoing, double down on that category because ranking positions breed ranking positions, breed ranking positions. So the value of a ranking URL internally linking to other non-ranking content is, you know, good and better. Um, so that's kind of the ins and outs of a realistically six to nine month content strategy. Once you do the first few months, you can tone down on, on quantity publication. Um, another thing I'll touch back in on optimization is that there are fantastic tools out there. Um, Ahrefs, SEMrush, Moz will all identify when a URL that you've created six months ago is ranking between, you know, eighth and 30th position for a high volume search term. Um, then a tool like Phrase, SEO Surfer, ClearScope, you drop in that existing URL with the target key phrase that you're ranking for between 8th and 30th. Um, and then there, it, it'll recommend changes that you can make to that content in order to improve it and increase its ranking position. So in months kind of four, five, six, consider that some scope of what you're doing on a monthly basis can be optimizations alongside that new content. Uh, so I have plenty of questions about this process and this example in particular. I think, again, is going to help bring it to life for anyone listening. So uh, out of everything you talked through there about the content strategy, the part that stood out to me as the most strategic part of that is the decision at the beginning to categorize your pillar content by the search volume. And I assume difficulty might come into play there as well. I can't remember if you... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah so the sure. search volume and difficulty of specific themes or topics. I think you used the word pillar, actually. Um, mm-hmm. I, I want you to maybe elaborate on what pillar content is. So I can link to anything in the show notes as well, but are you able to describe the difference between what pillar content is and then what post content is? For sure. Uh, pillar content tends to be higher search volume key phrases which with, with a higher KD. Um, that's the rule of thumb. However, I would also consider pillar content simply to be the key phrases for which you want to rank most. The reason that you want to rank most for usually is going to be because if I get found for that search term, then I get a bunch of traffic. However, if the search intent is really, really high and there's some search volume, then that can be a pillar as well. Because, you know, say you do project management software, ranking for that key phrase, project management software, that's a high intent search term. No one that's searching for project management software is looking for anything other than a list of project management software out there. And they're going to choose between the t- between them based on whatever analysis is in the article. Um, so even if that search term has lower search volume than, than uh, your other pillars, perhaps, it can still be a high priority key phrase for which you want to rank. Um, how it looks pillars because of the competitiveness, um, they, you, they tend to be longer. I would say in general content in 2022 is between 1500 and 2500 words. That's still kind of where we're at. It's where we've been for a long time. Um, I wouldn't since April, May go above 2500. It does seem to be that Google is now not rewarding <laughs> at least, um, really long, long form content. So anybody in the affiliate space, tone it down a little bit. It's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, so it, t- it tends to be that we're looking at longer form content. It tends to be also that we're looking at higher investment in um, 
you know, imagery, custom images. Maybe you're adding video to that as well, a video synopsis at the top, just describing what's in the article, a few primary takeaways. Uh, you know, it's formatted and there's a lot of considered um, edits made to it. It's tweaked as a table of contents. Um, the the CTAs and how you're linking to your site are very well thought out. Essentially, what we're talking about here is the content that you are investing most in in order to make it as good as it possibly can be upfront. Um, because the idea then is that you leave that pillar B for a really for a significant length of time, um, building its momentum by supporting it with uh, related, perhaps shorter form, lesser invested content, support content. Support content, again, 1,500 to 2,000, let's say, words or 1,000 to 2,000 words for support content, depending on competitiveness and depending on what the competition is doing. Um, but the idea behind this is that your support content is linking to itself or like each other, as well as every time the pillar piece um, and then the pillar piece usually is, you know, also ranking to support content so long as you're not link stuffing or just like making it unreadable. Um, support content, for instance, if we're targeting project management as a um, pillar search term key phrase, which we wouldn't because it's insane, but say we were, <laughs> um, support content would be something like um, task management. Uh, time management, um, time tracking, project planning. What does a project manager do? Um, project management examples, project uh, management stages, um, you know, all of these supplementary articles that have their own searches that are different from somebody, somebody who types in time management um, strategies or time management examples or whatever, isn't looking for a project management piece. So that article can live independently. However, it lives within the world of project management for your business. Um, if you also, so we used to work for one.com and project management was one of their categories. CMS was another of their categories. Sales was another of the categories and marketing was another of the categories. So, um, and within each category, they also had a specific, you know, uh, service feature product that um, we focused readers' attention to. Because conversion is still a major component of content creation. It's not exclusively brand awareness. It's not exclusively traffic. We're also, if we do get traffic, we do want to have, you know, some mention of the fact that your business, your service, your whatever helps make the pain points in this piece easier or helps address those pain points. So within each category, you should also consider um, what am I talking about in these pieces? What what part of my business um, fits most nicely, or uh, sorry, fits uh, most easily and 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 most naturally within these these content pieces? Um, so yeah, at the heart of it, it's 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 about scaling content production intelligently and intentionally if you invested 2500 words into every single article and um you know went above and beyond on every single topic that you had identified you would burn out or spend way too much money and not get anywhere and be annoyed at me for recommending it so invest in the pillars up front support them with shorter form lesser investment content after the fact and then come back in uh, and optimize really both, but definitely your support content because it should uh, rank better more quickly. Um, and as soon as it does, then get to the first page through additional optimizations and make sure that it is linking really clearly to the pillar in order to, over time, get the pillar to the first page as well. 
That's really well described. And there are uh, two additional elements, strategic elements that I think really stood out when you were talking. The first you touched on at the end there, which I think is, I'm summarizing in my mind as relevance. So the strategic part is the matching of themes and topics with the things that are actually relevant about in your business that you can produce content around that are actually going to make a difference to conversion, as you said. For example, in an SEO strategy, it wouldn't make sense, even if the search volume is there, necessarily to produce content about something that's not matched to your product or service, even if you can rank for it, because the investment in that likely isn't going to pay off from a conversion perspective. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. there's top of funnel and then there's like, oh, you're an entirely different funnel. Like that funnel isn't even attached to my funnel. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's top of funnel and then there's vanity. So, yeah, and, and absolutely. yeah, and, and uh, so I think, I think, again, I think that's a really undervalued aspect of strategic content marketing is the ability to know, again, based on your knowledge of a business, what can they produce content around that's actually not only going to rank, but then convert. Uh, and that ability, um, it, it, just going through that process, it can be it can be a confidence booster. It can be humbling because it shows you aspects of the industry that you're in that perhaps you'd love to be able to write more about, but maybe you're not experts in. And so mm-hmm. you kind of you might leave that for later. You might come back to that and double down on the things that you really know very well. You mentioned video and format, the strategic decision about what format to invest in from an SEO perspective. Again, we know you need copy to rank, but overall, um, more broadly speaking, when it comes to content, you're trying to, we talked at the beginning of this episode about intent. Your intent is to deliver a message through content marketing um, that reaches the intended user. And sometimes that will be copy-based. Sometimes it might be audio or video. Um, So I assume that's a strategic element that you consider as well. Absolutely. Um, We, well, two things though. Firstly, I consider written content as the foundation from which a lot of other content types can spring because a long form blog article on project management can, can uh, beget a video script, a podcast episode, a webinar, an ebook, a, uh, a white paper or, um, you know, uh, whatever, like oftentimes consider that this is the basis and this lives in his index and has its own url but so long as i'm not indexing that content i can use that article's content in a lead gated ebook or a few of those articles content within within a single uh, lead gated ebook um, and not worry about duplicating content in the same way that i can do the same with youtube uh, or in the same with podcast or webinar whatever it is um, the expertise that you invest in uh, to create that high quality long form blog content can be repurposed and should be repurposed into whatever other content types make sense to you. Um, the other side of this, and just, just again, completely switching tactics, but from video's perspective, SEO wise, video is also incredibly impactful. Now I recognize the video is also, you know, if I'm saying like, yeah, you need to invest, you know, a thousand dollars into every article you write. Sorry, you also need to invest a thousand dollars into every video that needs to go in every article. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of investment here. That said, you know, video is. I wrote an article in 2013, back when I was in house. It was called "Why Video Is the Next Big Thing." Um, <laughs> so I think, I think that article has probably been written every uh, November since <laughs> so for yeah. the past nine years. Um, video is the next big thing. Uh, I don't think that video will ever entirely replace. Um, the other content types that we that we um, 
have talked about today. Uh, but it has a place and the place that it has, whether on, you know, through YouTube search or within your blog content or within your email campaigns, whatever it is, um, is, is, is worthy of investment, not least because the difference between high quality content and low quality content is not as disparate as the difference between low quality video and high quality video. It all, you know, blog content goes up on the same blog theme, you know, a theme of your site. The words look the same, even if you don't, you know, you look at them and you're like, oh, that's actually bad grammar. It takes you a sec to realize that. As soon as you look or hear, as soon as you, you see or hear a bad quality video, um, you are so completely aware immediately, uh, especially around, you know, audio. But if you do invest in, in video, it can really pay off. I'll give you a quick anecdote. We, as I mentioned, we do optimizations as a core part of, of our you know service. And one thing that we started doing last year is we got in, we, we brought in, kind of stole an excellent uh, head of video, Jenna. And she, along with her team now, puts together synopsis videos um, to be added as part of the optimization process of content. And a test that we ran with one of our clients was we identified 22 URLs, which were quote-unquote 11s as I refer to them, URLs ranking between 8th and 30th position for a high-volume search term. We didn't touch the content on those URLs. We simply added a synopsis video um, to the top of them. She ran through some takeaways. Some, you know, it's, She'd like introduce herself, introduction to the piece, touch on the pain points, ran through the takeaways, and then finished off with a, you know, if you want to get the complete... Um, you know, guide to the subject, read on. That was placed at the top of the article um, instead of a hero image or instead of a header. Also placed on YouTube. But the purpose of this was optimization. 22 URLs um, published all around the same time, and we had a 122% um, ranking increase. So a URL that was ranking, you know, 11th ranked fifth or whatever it you know whatever percentage made sense there um across the board some of them did better some of them did worse but across the board it was a really significant was it i mean there was 22 urls so take that with whatever grain of salt you want to use statistical significant people um from my side that's a pretty decisive increase in ranking position just from uh, video alone whether that was time on page whether that was um, simply the, the algorithm rewards video. I'm not entirely sure, genuinely, but that's what we saw. And we've seen similar results since. Now, what we do now is along with the addition of video, we, you know, update the article, make sure it's as good as, we, as it can be. So our, the, the AB test is, is muddled. It's kind of multivariate now. But even so, across the board, investing in video is valuable and adding those videos to written content is also valuable. But it's high investment. So create great content as a priority. And if you have the means, throw a video in there for sure. Mm. Yeah, what I'm thinking here is about scalability. So copy is easier to scale than video. And the limiting factor to a kind of a video-based strategy is just actually the resource, potentially the budget to actually produce the videos. But apart from that, I, I, I guess I'm curious, actually, is that something you come up against with the video production side of things, but just because of the cost factors involved? I would say one in 10 of our current clients have the means to invest in both significantly and at scale. Um, the takeaway there is that content can absolutely succeed and does every day without video added to it. Um, but if you, know, if you have an extra five grand lying around at the end of the month, um, and you've already done the the volume of content that you want to be doing and at the quality you want to be doing it, test 
um, test, you know, the creation of a few videos, get, get, get a few people involved, make sure the quality is excellent because bad video is worth, is worse than no video at all. Um, but yes, we've absolutely run up against that. Um, it's, it's, it is an expensive content type to produce for sure. More expensive than, than, than content or than, than, than written content. Yeah. Uh, video is still the next big thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be next year as well. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking it's time for you to update that article. Um, before we close out, uh, just one final question related to all of this. You've mentioned a couple of times about going back into articles after producing them to um, update them or optimize them. I'm just curious to know your approach to optimizing content or updating content that you've already produced. Any tips that could be software, frameworks, resources? Optimization comes down to the stack, actually. Um, I use Ahrefs, um, though I also love SEMrush. I'm just in Ahrefs at the moment. Um, Site Explorer filter organic key phrases or keywords based on um, ranking position between 8th and 30th position, filter by 250 plus search volume per month, um, export that list. That's going to show you all of the URLs, a bunch of which are going to be duplicates because they're ranking for multiple key phrases in those positions with that volume. Um, export to Google Sheets or Excel or whatever it is, sort by um, search volume, remove duplicates. So you have a list of the you know top opportunity key phrases for which your individual articles are ranking between 8th and 30th position. Um, then use a tool like Phrase to drop in the key phrase. So Phrase or ClearScope or Market Muse or SEO Surf or whatever, they have an existing, they have a, a optimization component of what they do. So they compare um, either existing content or drafted content against uh, the top 20 search results for a provided key phrase. So you put in your project management software article, um, live URL with the project management software key phrase for which that URL was ranking between 8th and 30th. You run it against the competition. It spits out um, a score. So say your, your, your score is 34 to 44, and it will tell you the semantic key phrases that are missing in that piece. So you know you the competition seems to be talking about you know, time tracking, your piece doesn't have that. Make your piece more comprehensive in scope by including that semantic key phrase or a section on that. Or maybe you're low on word count. So Google says that, you know, while word count isn't, you know, necessarily a, 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 an algorithm variable, um, still, let's make sure that you're covering all of your bases from a subject matter perspective. Within reason, sometimes they recommend something insane. Again, affiliates. But uh, in general, um, Add in those semantic key phrases, get your score up to snuff, and then look at the article also from just like a quality perspective. Is it, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the readability score? Again, a tool like ProvideNade or Hemingway app or whatever can do that. Um, but then also look at, make sure your meta title, meta description or, uh, meta title is aligned with, you know, your target key phrase. Meta description is aligned with increasing conversion rate on SERP as well as, or click rate on SERP as well as, SEO. Uh, make sure that your images are um, high quality, low in size. Make sure that your page time is really clean and tidy uh, and 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 short. Um, and make sure that you're navigating people to that URL and from that URL really intentionally. Um, internal backlinking is huge. And then republish, um, upload or update that existing URL. Make a note of exactly when that URL kind of was updated. Uh, you know either index it manually either specify search console or wait however long or sorry uh, either have it crawled manually 
or wait a couple weeks um, and then watch it over the course of the next six weeks or so to see if your improvements have um, you know increased its ranking position and I'm seeing a lot of success doing this so um, it's well worth looking into for sure yeah I guess key skills or characteristics of that approach that stand out to me the discipline but also it sounds like making it a habit so <laughs> Um, again, it can be easy, particularly when you're publishing lots of content, it can get quite overwhelming if you leave it for six months or a year and then you don't update that content in that period of time, because then suddenly you've got this bank of content that you need to update. Whereas if you're updating things fairly frequently, as you've just said there, maybe six, eight weeks, you're doing, you're making it a habit to update content that you've produced. I think it makes the process a lot smoother. Is that fair? That's absolutely true. That's all kind of to wrap this up that's yeah. all part of building a content strategy with intention it's not just creating content but it's knowing why you're creating that content how it connects to each other and then what i'm doing with it after it's published not just from a promotional perspective but also from a how am i keeping an eye on it and what am i going to do when it is just off the first page you know what is the strategy i'm implementing them or what's the tactic i'm implementing them that feeds into holistic strong content strategy um that is gonna drive success over significant time um it's 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 a lot don't get me wrong but unless you're considering how each one of these tactics comes in to create a holistic strategy um it's not going to succeed james i thank you so much for your time but before i let you go do you want to let our listeners know where they can find you and codeless if they want to extend the conversation Absolutely. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, James Shear, VP of Growth at Codeless. Uh, codeless.io is the website, but also I mean, you can just email me, james at codeless.io. I like talking about this stuff clearly. So if you want to chat content strategy, I'm around. Thanks so much, man. James, pleasure talking content strategy with you. This has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. Take care. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 